Grand Canyon University, a Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering over 200 engaging programs online. GCU invests in high demand areas such as nursing, teaching, and the sciences. Students engage with faculty who become partners in your success. GCU's online students received over $100 million in scholarships in 2020. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you qualify for. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Welcome back to Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, bringing you the latest evolutionary information, developments, and solution during our challenging times. I am your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our very special guest for this two-hour special is Dr. David Hanscom. We're discussing thriving and surviving COVID-19. David's website is backincontrol.com. David, I know that we touched in on it earlier, but um, it seems awfully important. Would you mind explaining what uh, the polyvagal theory, theory is? Well, the human organism, actually any living organism, survives by avoiding threat and going towards reward. And the polyvagal theory looks at the vagus nerve, which is the calming part of the autonomic nervous system. So with the autonomic nervous system does is applies the gut, the bladder, the bowel, your heart and your lungs, controls heart rate, controls your blood vessel dilation, controls how your lungs dilate and constrict. So it's called the autonomic nervous system because it's automatic, it's unconscious. Every bit of it's under unconscious control. Part of the control is the immune system. So under any threat, including viruses, why your autonomic, autonomic nervous system fires up, the sympathetic nervous system fires up, you have an inflammatory response to kill the virus. So the vagus nerve is the opposite of that, which calms things down. And the polyvagal theory recognizes that is the development of the advanced part of the vagus nerve that allows your facial muscles to relax, to go from danger to safety, allows us to what's called co-regulate. In other words, if I meet you on the street and you look safe, your muscles relax, my muscles relax, that goes to the vagus nerve. So what it does, it slows down your heart, slows down your breathing, your muscles relax, everything in your body relaxes, including your immune system. So it's the vagus nerve that allows us to interact with, interact with each other to be social. It's also connected to the facial muscles, to the neck muscles. So again, body language, facial expression, eye movements are all connected to the vagus nerve. That's interesting. So. Um... Uh, how does adrenaline play in here? Because I know sometimes people have what they call vasal vagal syndrome, where when um, the adrenaline hits the system, the heart can actually shut down. So does it play in here somehow? 
Well, the adrenal or the adrenaline is a little bit of a different system. That comes from the um, the uh, kidneys, the adrenal gland. And so that's actually not coming from the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve can stimulate the release of adrenaline. But when you go into fight or flight, the adrenaline takes a few minutes to come on board. So what we consider an adrenaline, adrenaline response is actually an autonomic nervous system response of inflammatory, which is called cytokines, which says danger. Your whole body goes into tension. There's actually not adrenaline initially. So once the adrenaline kicks in, then your heart rate goes up, breathing goes up, et cetera. But that's already happened because of the autonomic nervous system first. So we're already set up before we get going. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Like. Right. How, how can what we know about the polyvagal theory help us with uh, COVID-19? Well, the key to life in general isn't stress, it's how you process the stress. And what you're doing with the vagus nerve is you're training your brain to regulate an unconscious response. In other words, the survival response is automatic, and there's ways of becoming aware that you're in this response. Then there are a bunch, there's a bunch of techniques you can do to actually stimulate the vagus nerve to actually calm things down. So remember, the defensive threat response is the sympathetic nervous system, or is fast heart rate, adrenaline, et cetera. What you're trying to do is engage the vagus nerve to calm things down. So there's a lot of things you can do to actually calm down the sympathetic response through the vagus nerve. And those would be? So, for instance, let's take humming. Some Something as simple as humming. What it does, it causes a vibration in your larynx and your pharynx. Those are directly connected to the vagus nerve. So when you just hum, and all of a sudden the humming sort of relaxing, right? If you actually, if you actively decide I'm going to hum to relax myself for 30 seconds or so, it actually engages the parasympathetic nervous system. So just for a second right here in the air, we can just take what's called slow breathing. We just take a deep inhale and let it out slowly, long exhale. It's will be called slow breathing. And what it does, that breathing of less than 10 breaths per minute actually stimulates the vagus nerve. Mindfulness. So what happens with mindfulness, you're pushing your, so again, mental threats are as much of a problem as a virus, which is a physical threat. So with meditation, you're actually calming your mind, calming your body, and again, decreasing the sympathetic tone. So my, with mindfulness, for instance, you put your brain on a different sensation besides racing thoughts. Again, you're switching the sensory input, again, decreasing the sympathetic tone, increasing the parasympathetic tone, again, calms things down. Um, a lot of people, I'm going to talk about chronic pain for a second, is that we know that social isolation is deadly. We're our, we are a tribal species. We need social isolation. I'm sorry, we need social connection. We crave it. And 53% of Americans are socially isolated. And so what happens is Dr. Porges, who authored the polyvagal theory, put it out really clearly, it's the vagus nerve, the autonomic nervous system that allows us to co-regulate so then we need other people's input in a safe environment to actually regulate your autonomic nervous system. When you're socially isolated, you become dysregulated. And that's why with the mask and isolation that, that we're into right now with the COVID epidemic is that we can't see each other's facial expressions. We try Zoom, which works a little bit better than the telephone, by the way. But what happens is you lose that process to co-regulate and what happens when you're in the sympathetic response, the blood supply to the frontal lobe of your brain drops down and you're not thinking. It's all this unconscious survival response, which is dangerous because remember the survival is about you, not people around you. 
So domestic violence goes up. I mean, why should there be domestic violence error, right? These are people you love, you care about, they support you, you support them. All of a sudden you do really crazy things to them. 20, 28% of men and 32% of women experience physical domestic violence in their lifetime. That is horrible. It's horrific. It really is. And it's uh, so you're tying it into this going back into the back brain, coming from a violent uh, reactionary place rather than one of logic, love, spirituality, which what you find in the front brain. Now, when you engage the uh, vagal nerve, can you turn that around? Question number one. And question number two is you mentioned body language. Can you work that in reverse? Can you assume a lowered uh, shoulders and a relaxed face and have it then affect the the, vasal, the vagal nerve? Absolutely. So, again, dropping the shoulders, you know, um, let your facial muscles relax, stimulate yourself to actually calm down. It stimulates the people around you to calm down. And one of the things that we really encourage people to do in families in particular is actually take responsibility for your own behavior. Because again, when you're triggered, anxious or frustrated, the frontal lobe of your brain loses its blood supply. It's all survival response. It's all sympathetic tone. So the vagus nerve is offline. The blood supply to the frontal lobe of your brain is simply not working. So by re-engaging the parasympathetic nervous system, you actually change the blood flow and actually can start thinking again. So then you use these somatic tools to actually re-engage the sympathetic nervous system. So deep breathing, slow breathing, mindfulness meditation, they're not psychological. You're just dropping down the body's inflammatory response. So that inflammatory, as we mentioned earlier, the inflammatory response is not just physical inflammation, but also emotional inflammation? Anxiety depression, schizophrenia are all inflammatory disorders. Wow. Wow. What a whole different way of looking at things. Right. Now, you mentioned that 53% of the American people are isolated. Why? Well, I think the why is a huge question, but what's fascinating and disturbing is that the most isolated group is actually the people below 25. So you can be amongst people, but still be isolated with your TV, your room, whatever. So I'm not sure. I think it's a whole different discussion about why people are socially isolated. So you can be socially isolated within your own family. My personal theory is that when people are anxious and frustrated, it's about survival. The essence of relationships is awareness. You have to be aware of who the other person is, what their needs are for a relationship. So awareness and vulnerability are the essence of relationships. When you're anxious and frustrated, you're in a protective survival mode and awareness disappears, and relationships shrivel. So I think it becomes a catch-22 that people are angry and frustrated, tend to withdraw. Of course, that withdrawal makes that whole process worse. And so you have a horrible cycle going. How much do you think, and we're just about out of time for this segment, but how much do you think um, our heavy reliance on you know cell phones and this and that rather than face-to-face communication is starting to play into this? Well, I don't think the cell phone's the problem as much as the texting and the emails and the social media. I think those are a disaster. I think mm-hmm. actually talking to people on the phone is actually reasonably functional. You still get tone of voice and tonality, et cetera. But anytime you start communicating through texting, social media, um, the different type, and, and I don't do social media, so I don't know too much about it. But the bottom line is it's a disaster. I mean, this time spent on Facebook and um, Instagram, et cetera, is a disaster. Mm. Mm. And that's just going up and up and up and up, isn't it? Right, right. It, it's in this real danger to our younger children if that's their only regulatory source, if you will, because it's pretty crazy out there uh, what is posted on Facebook and, and what we're getting there. 
Well, remember when you're on a screen, you cannot co-regulate. You can only be excited. You're not going to be calmed down by your screen. You have no body language or tone of voice to help calm yourself down. But again, like for instance, as far as this, the parasympathetic nervous system, we'll talk about that after the break, but there's a bunch of ways of truly engaging it, and one of them is not the screen. Mm, absolutely. Well, it is time for that break. Uh, Dr. Hanscom and I will return shortly with more leading-edge information that you don't want to miss, so you stay right there. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about taking personal action to manage COVID-19? Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions, and we'll address them on the very next show. With us this hour discussing alternative approaches to coronavirus is Dr. David Hanscom. His website, where you have lots of information about this, is back in control. Dot com. Um, David, we were talking about um, co-regulation, and we've, we've mentioned it several times, but would you mind going into exactly what is that? So I want to go back into the COVID crisis. So we have a sympathetic nervous system that's too active, and we're trying to engage the vagus nerve to calm things down. So there's a bunch of ways of engaging the vagus nerve, and one of them is socialization. In fact, that's one of the most key ones in a sense of safety. So if you're with people that are dangerous, it's the opposite effect, you're fired up. The way humans evolved is that if you look at reptiles, they don't have a smile, right? They just respond. So what happened is that a different part of the vagus nerve developed, again, connected to the neck muscles and facial muscles and eye movements. So what we, for, from a survival evolutionary process, that if you didn't really truly recognize something else was dangerous, you just didn't survive. So the vagus nerve evolved in a way to allow you to see who's safe versus not safe. If you misread the cues, guess what? You didn't survive. So over millions of years, why um, actually hundreds of thousands of years for humans, why you were programmed to look at other people's facial expressions and read it. And most people read it correctly most of the time. So we call co-regulation if you're not in the same room and you're in a really bad mood guess what? That actually gets transmitted to my vagus nerve and I'm on high alert. In other words, what's she going to say next? What are you going to do? Or say I walk into my boss's office and she seems to be in a great mood and I'm going to relax. If her face is wrinkled up and crinkled and I think something might be wrong, guess what? My 
threat system where my sympathetic nervous system fires up. So co-regulation means that you read the other person's mood and facial expressions and body language and you respond in kind. That's how socialization occurs. So it would it would occur to me that um, a learned skill that would be very useful is to not take other people's responses towards us personally, like what you think about me is none of my business, unless they're going to be a physical threat. Is that going to help here? Well, that's a little different. In other words, that's called cognitive distortion. So again, mental threat and physical threats are processed the same way. So if I physically see you in a, you're in a bad mood, that's actually a physical threat. So the thoughts that torture you is that my boss doesn't like me or I'm not doing a good job or my or whatever, I mean, it's these racing, ruminating thoughts that are Taking a mental threat, mm-hmm. right? So that's the part actually that, what I call the curse of consciousness, is that we can't escape our thoughts. You can either suppress them, experience them, or mask them, but you can't escape your thoughts. So what happens is these racing thoughts, it create a constant state of threat. So that's why anxiety, psychosis, schizophrenia are all inflammatory disorders, because you can't escape these racing thoughts. So that's what cognitive behavioral therapy does. It recognizes the thought distortions, labeling, should thinking, perfectionism, and you change and reframe the thinking so you've changed the sensory input so then your chemical response is less. What did, then you what have did to it, have access to the front brain to do that, don't you? Right. So to catch 22, but again, what happens is with this expressive writing does, you simply write down these racing thoughts and you tear them up. So you can't control your thoughts, but you can separate from them. And so that's what that simple exercise does. It's called expressive writing. Simply write down any thoughts, positive or negative, and tear them up. Not to get rid of them, because these are permanent embedded circuits, but to separate, write with freedom, but to not analyze them, because they're just thoughts. If you want to analyze these negative thoughts, you're actually reinforcing them based on neuroplasticity. Well, now you were... um, um... One of the things that we keep coming back to is that what kills us with COVID is not COVID itself, but rather an over-the-top inflammatory response. Right. What sets a person up to in- enter into it before they're, they're even, um, you know, what all are the things that set us up to have uh, an over-the-top inflammatory response rather than the appropriate one? Well, first of all, we're not 100% sure that the response is over-the-top. In other words, almost every person that's died, and I'm, still, I'm sure there's data on this, but I can't find it yet, where essentially everybody that's died from COVID has risk factors for dying. And every one of those risk factors has elevated cytokines to start. And so what we think is that you start with the high level cytokines and then you have the normal response of inflammation to get rid of the virus. Remember the virus doesn't kill you, it's the inflammatory response that kills you. Mm-hmm. So you have a normal response to the virus, you have the normal elevation of the cytokines. If it crosses that critical threshold, people die. So. The key issue is we know what the risk factors are, then the answer is lower the risk factors, lower the inflammatory markers. So how can a person tell if they're suffering from an appropriate inflammatory response? So say, for instance, you're already behind the power curve. Are there some symptoms that we can we can start to key into to go, whoa, I need to make some adjustments here? So I think it's a little bit empirical here. I think the two things that you can gauge is one of them is anxiety. And again, anxiety is a result of a threat, not the cause of a threat. So there's a whole process that I outline on my website, backincontrol.com, that allows you to separate from the threat and then process it to actually lower the inflammatory response. So remember, anxiety is just that elevated inflammatory response. The way you lower anxiety is not talk therapy. You actually use the tools we talked about to lower the inflammatory cytokines. 
So again, it's a physiological effect, not a psychological effect. So anxiety is a big one. So if you're really anxious, and again, the more appropriate your anxiety, the worse the problem. So paradoxically, the more you worry about the COVID virus, which is a legitimate worry, the higher the chance you're actually going to have a problem with it. So there's ways of separating yourself from the reaction and redirecting that actually help you lower that curve. Second thing, anger. Anger and anxiety are the same thing. The antidote to anxiety is control. When you lose control, your body has a bigger response and you become angry. So what happens when you're angry and remain that way, your body's on fire. Every person that's healed from chronic pain has actually crossed the anger line with forgiveness. Had a woman this week, 15 years of chronic pain. She finally let go of a situation that's been bugging her for a long time. She was so excited this week because she's pain-free for the first time in 15 years. That's phenomenal. Just phenomenal. And, you know, in Plan B, you state modern medicine has the capacity to halt this pandemic now. Would you please explain that one? Right. So what's happening, and I understand, I don't want to be too critical here, but there's a tendency to look for the big solutions with the big problem. The reality is you have to cover the basics first. So, I, I mean, one of the metaphors I've tried to use, which makes some sense, I think, is just driving your car. Is that before you drive your car, you want to make sure the spark plugs are in place, the carburetor is working, there's fuel in the tank. So there's a bunch of things you can do to prepare your car to actually function. So there's some basic things that need to be covered for everybody. So as far as vitamins, vitamins are critical for a reason, is they help the body function, they help fight infection, et cetera. So there's vitamin B, vitamin C is anti-inflammatory, vitamin D helps kill the virus, um, vitamin K is important for clotting, positive or negative. And so there's a basic set of vitamins that have to be covered. Vitamin D deficiency is the number one vitamin D deficiency in the world, especially in people with dark skin, because the dark skin is competing with sunlight to convert vitamin D into an active form. So there's a very definite vitamin D deficiency in everybody in North America, especially in dark skinned people. That's one of the reasons that they're dying faster. So covering the vitamins is number one. Um, then there's these, pro, these these metals, there's zinc and magnesium. Magnesium is required to transport proteins across membranes. And zinc is required for the proteins to actually function. They're called metalloproteins. Just like you have iron in blood, you have zinc in proteins. So covering those bases is really critical. And what I'm not seeing in the research is that they're going after big vaccines and viral agents. But does a person have vitamin D? <laughs> How right? simple is that, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, there's actually some papers that show if you have vitamin D, the mortality rate goes way down. Just that one intervention. Phenomenal. And it's such a cheap vitamin, too. Right. Just amazing. Um, but one thing that we haven't touched on, and I don't know if it's relevant or not, but I kind of get a sneaking it might be, and that's self-love and self-acceptance. What part does that play in here? That's the anger part. Ah. Right? Because when you're, uh, first of all, all of us are basically, I think, almost to the person of not quite being good enough. In other words, we don't meet our parents' expectations. We don't meet society's expectations. And I think most of us have this critical voice in our head that's that's saying, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. Well, guess what? That's a threat. Then what I did personally is why I ended up personally in 15 years of chronic pain is I repressed that. I was, I was incredibly good at repressing that negative voice. So repressed emotions is actually the opposite of self-love. The problem with self-love is that you you have to allow yourself to feel, you have to allow yourself to feel vulnerable. And as Dr. Porges has pointed out, that anger actually protects you. Why would I say that? 
Well, it's one of our basic fight or flight things. That is a protection, yes. Well, but you feel powerful. In ah, other words, okay. remember, it's safety versus threat. So when you're angry, you feel safe. Now, you may not be safe, but you feel safe. So he says when he gives his talk and uses some of his vagal stimulation techniques, he has a trained therapist do it because a certain percent of people, as they relax, are not ready to feel vulnerable. They decompensate. So anger is actually anger. So the number one block to actually solving chronic pain is actually anger. Interesting. And so we feel um, unsafe if we let go of the false power we feel from being angry. Or actually true power. There's another research paper that shows that if you're angry and you actually exert your power and win, your inflammatory, inflammatory markers go down and there's dopamine and there's testosterone. So there's actually a physiological reward for being angry and actually winning. Now, if you're angry and trapped, you're losing, your inflammatory markers go through the roof. I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, we are going to have to take another another commercial break. Dr. Hanscom and I will return to our discussion so, shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution, and we're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We will be back with more groundbreaking information on coronavirus on the other side of this pause. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. For your convenience, we have put Dr. Hanscom's Plan A, Thrive and Survive COVID-19, and Plan B up on the front page of our website. You can download it for free there with his compliments at www.missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is the one and only Dr. David Hanscom, and we're speaking about what you can do right now to support your immune system against COVID-19. His website is backincontrol.com, where he also offers Plan A and Plan B for download, along with other very valuable information, so you won't want to miss that. Um, Dr. Hanscom, you mentioned having formed a work group of professionals that have, you know, in the past have had success in treating chronic pain. How, oh, how did you guys make that magic leap from chronic pain to COVID-19? Well, what happened, I quit my practice in surgery, spine surgery in December 2018, actually to pursue the chronic pain work full time. Turns out that chronic pain is solvable by using a multi-pronged self-directed approach. In other words, everything works a little bit in chronic pain, but nothing works in isolation. So as we put this work group together to deepen our knowledge of how to treat chronic pain, we started looking at the inflammatory process and we ran across Dr. Porges of the polyvagal theory. And what the pain group all of a sudden started to look at is the entire chronic pain process through the lens of the polyvagal theory. So somehow none of us comprehended about these cytokines that when you're, when you're under threat, not only does your nerve conduction increase and you feel the pain more, your entire body's on threat. So it turned out the basis for all chronic disease, in other words, sustained threat, is, is the inflammatory process. And it could be metabolic, it could be inflammatory, but Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, peripheral vascular disease, diabetes, those are all chronic inflammation. And it makes sense because people in chronic stress die early. And Is why? cancer uh, uh, inflammatory response as well? We believe, yes. 
Autoimmune disorder is a core. So yeah, under constant threat, your body breaks down. Just amazing. So you keep mentioning cytokines, and I know you touched into them um, uh, last hour, but would you mind telling us just a little bit more about them, what they are? Because I, I don't think many of us are real familiar with them. So it's sort of refers to the idea of threat, whether it's a mental threat or physical threat, it's the same thing, virus, bacteria, lion, tiger, or bear. So what happens, your body is under threat. Your autonomic nervous system says danger. It stimulates the release of what's called cytokines. The cytokines are very short proteins, about 120 molecules long, that communicate between cells. The original cytokines were called interleukins, in other words, between white blood cells. And so what it did, it each white cell tell the next white cell what to do. So in the brain, there's cytokines formed that are inflammatory that actually inflame the brain. Those are secreted by these connective tissues in the cell called glial cells. Every cell in the body has cytokine receptors and the capacity to form cytokines. So it's how the body talks to itself. So it happens under threat, i.e. cytokine viruses, the body says danger, the inflammatory cytokines kick into gear, so does the cortisol, so does the adrenaline, you go into this fight-flight mode, and then your inflammatory process kicks in to kick out the virus. Remember, the virus is not the problem, it's the inflammatory response. So the immune system kicks out the virus, which succeeds most of the time, but when it starts losing the battle, in other words, what the inflammatory response does actually cleans out the virus and discards it. But when the immune system gets overwhelmed, the inflammatory process keeps going and going and going. If it's not turned off at the right time, people actually die of the inflammation because the inflammation is liquid. In other words, we have a boil that's inflammation. So that liquid gets into your lungs and you can't breathe. That's what kills people is you literally drown in your own inflammatory liquids. Without a single virus involved at that point. Right. A lot of time, a lot, right. Most of the time, that's a different question, but most of the time people actually die of the COVID pneumonia, the virus is gone. Yes. That's what I was wondering. So is this a cytokine storm that you're talking about when it, when it gets, goes into that cycle and doesn't come out? That's what they call a cytokine storm. Again, we're not sure it's a storm or the usual cytokine response. Again, that's why we try to get people with risk factors to lower their cytokines first before they get sick. So the chance of going over that critical threshold drops down. And that takes us back to all the exercises that you've brought up as well as an anti-inflammatory diet? Right. So let me just list the risk factors for dying. One of them is being dark-skinned, um, an inflammatory diet, eating junk food, um, obesity, adult-onset diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Um, all of those are inflammatory. So let's say you're overweight and diabetic. Okay, it is what it is. But what you can do right this second, you don't, have to lose, you don't have to lose 50 or 100 pounds. You can simply go to an anti-inflammatory diet, which is lots of ways to do, and that's not hard to do. So even without losing the weight, you can have a dramatic decrease in your inflammatory markers. So the, those are symptoms, but they aren't necessarily the cause. Well, again, the, those risk factors that cause people to die have elevated cytokines. So again, when you have the normal cytokine rise, so if, let's say I have elevated cytokines because I'm stressed out and I'm tense. So my inflammatory markers are up and you're relaxed. So we have the same rise in cytokines. I may cross the threshold where you probably will not. So how can we tell if the body's natural defenses are losing the battle, you mentioned? Well, I mean, that's what happens when, that's after you get admitted to the hospital is that, <clears throat> I, I, think I, know, I think I told you I had COVID. Did I tell you that? Yes, yes, you did. We had you on right afterwards, actually. Right. Very helpful interview, yeah. Okay, so use me as an example. I had a lots of muscle aches and fever, and I was very fatigued, no cough. And so I really was not even close to respiratory symptoms. So 
you're losing the battles when your oxygenation goes down. In other words, your oxygenate the saturation of your blood with oxygen should be 94% or higher. If it drops below 94%, you can actually have involvement of your lungs without having any lung symptoms at all. And so you could you, get a uh, very inexpensive little um, thing at the, the drugstore to measure your uh, oxygen off your finger, right? Right. So if you're out and about exposed to people with COVID, you know, check in your pulse oximeter. It's one of the, one of our recommendations, by the way, is it's once or twice a day, just check your oxygen saturation with this little home monitor because, again, you may actually have lung involvement without being sick at all. It's very bizarre. Nobody actually knows why that's happening. But the only way we can actually monitor that is with this little pulse oximeter. So that also would explain why we have people that are carriers um, because they don't have any symptoms, but Correct. still they, they have the virus. Right. So once the body's not able to fight off the disease, what's our next course of action? Well, say you're admitted to the hospital and you're having troubles breathing. Why the next step is to, okay, we have, let's say for instance, you have not taken care of yourself. So the first step is to make sure the vitamins are covered, that the magnesium and zinc are covered. And then what you're doing is obviously gonna just maintain and watch, because you don't wanna knock down the sympathetic response too quickly. So again, the first step is just simply to monitor. But what you also wanna do, and what you can do actually in the hospital is actually start engaging the sympathetic tone. So there's the deep breathing exercises we talked about. There's one called alternate nostril breathing. When you breathe through your nose, it increases your levels of of oxytocin by 1,500%. So oxytocin is anti-inflammatory. Um, the humming, quiet music, social contact, all those things are really critical to actually engage a parasympathetic nervous system. So unfortunately, what we're doing is throwing people in the ER, isolating them, scaring the heck out of them. So instead of having a sense of safety, you have a sense of threat, which actually cranks it way up. So we feel very strongly right from the beginning, there should be reassurance that family members under proper protection should be right in the room with the people, holding hands, et cetera. Those are really critical things to do to engage the parasympathetic nervous system. It's, it's been so sad because so many people have died alone um, from this un unnecessarily, you know, because I was talking to the um, uh, biologist and, and he said it's not difficult to, to avoid catching it. It's not that difficult. You know, you just have right. to do the hygiene, the mask, the um, uh, distancing. But but people are dying alone, isolated. And how this, much of the death is because they're isolated? Absolutely. It's one of our strategies is to get people in the room. So I'm going to say something that's going to be upsetting to you and your audience. But I figured this out a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still going to talk to more people to double check this. But <clears throat> the, cytokine, the cytokine storm occurs well after the virus is gone. So let's say you have covid you're in the ICU on the respirator. The virus is usually gone between six to 14 days, sometimes 21 days, rarely longer. So if a person tests negative for COVID cultures, as I say, three days in a row, they're not gonna catch the virus because they've already had it. They're not gonna shed the virus so people can come in the room without risk. And then the staff actually doesn't even have to put on protective covering because there's no danger of catching the virus. So actually, it doesn't make any sense what we're doing right now of continuing the ongoing protective clothing. First of all, it wears out the staff. I mean, being a physician myself, it's hard to take off the protective gear off and on all day long. So if a person is past shedding the virus, even when they're on the respirator, they don't need to be in isolation for any reason. 
Yeah, and it's like everybody's in this uh, fight or flight mode about the protection, and all logic about how to manage it is gone. Correct. So that's actually something I'm going to write about. I'm going to ask some people to double check my thinking, but the virus is gone. And what's really disturbing about this is that the social context social contact is actually important to calm down the sympathetic response. So it's not only hard for the staff, it's actually negative for the treatment outcome. There's a pretty highly read story on Apple News a few weeks ago where a 12-year-old girl had COVID. She had multiple system organ failure. She essentially had arrested twice. Mm. Her mother was a radiologist that was able to stay in the room and hold her hand, and this girl survived. And when you look at the when you look at the process, the only thing you can sort of figure out that saved your life was probably her mother holding her hand. Otherwise, she should have died. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I mean, we so underestimate the power of love and uh, physical support. Right. Yeah, just amazing. Just amazing. So we're about time to go into another commercial break. When we get back, I would I would really like to go in more to your plan B and, you know, what steps we can take and what are the myths about, you know, masks and the necessity of them and the um, isolation and the necessity of it. There's it's a lot of a real mixed bag out there. So are you game to go into that? I am. You're wonderful. (laughs) It is time for that commercial break, though. So Dr. Hanscom and I will be back shortly to continue discussing tools everyone can use to support us through the pandemic. Don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. Speaking of gifted people of service, this hour we're sharing thoughts with coronavirus survivor, Dr. David Hanscom. For your convenience, Dr. Hanscom's plan A and B can be downloaded from the front page of our website, missionevolution.org. His website, which is chock full of great information, including plan A and plan B, is backincontrol.com. And again, those are totally with his compliments. So, doctor, thank you so much for this amazing provision and all the studying you're doing to help us get through this crisis. No, thank you for allowing me to share. This is great. It's just a wonderful time together. Um, so one of the things that has been coming up that I think is of major concern is there's a lot of reports of people having had the virus, being tested positive, gotten over the virus, testing negative, and catching it again. Have you heard of that? Have you looked into that at all? You know, what does that say about our chance of actually getting immunity? Well, I think in general, the way we solve the HIV crisis, AIDS epidemic, is we figured out how to treat the disease. We never did, did get a vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. So same thing now is that I think this, like, this is a common cold virus that kills people. And we have tried for 50 years to find ways to get immunity against a common cold. We never did it. I think people probably will be able to be reinfected. I have immunity right now, which will last for at least maybe three months, maybe six months at the most. I have no no illusions about next year. I still take the same precautions I would ordinarily take that if I did not have immunity. So it's one of those things that we have to learn how to treat it. Remember if we, again, the plan B, we feel extremely strongly has a high chance of solving the pandemic because people stop dying. So getting the cold is not the problem. It's dying from the cold. That's the problem, right? 
Exactly. Right. So we're we're working on the dying part of it. And then once people quit dying of it, then people on a given year, it gets a herd immunity because people get the virus. They're not dying. And what I would love to see, this is a little, you know, probably grandiose in a way, but if you look at the plan A, in other words, these are 10 different ways to lower your inflammatory cytokines. When people understand that the interventions for their health directly lower their cytokines, improve their immune system, then they may engage in, in other words, this speaks to the whole healthcare system where we should be focused on wellness, not illness. So for discussion's sake, if the entire population had no risk factors, we would not have a, we would not have a pandemic. So how is this being received, David? Because, you know, I've worked in medical um, circles for years, particularly in Boulder, Colorado, and alternative medicine. And if there's one thing I found is there was these two factions. There was the, the people that were in the old school and very resistant to any kind of new approach. And the people that were fighting against that, trying to get new ideas out there. How is this being received that you're bringing forward? Um, very well by the physical therapists, by chiropractors, by healers, really well, and not by physicians. And I am not very happy with the medical profession because we have no data. Let's take spine surgery for a second. The success rate of a spine surgery for back pain is 22%. Mm. That's not very good. We have no data. There's not one oper- There's not one paper that supports the idea that a spine surgery is a good idea. So right now, the medical profession has dozens and dozens of interventions that have no data to back it up. So mainstream medicine actually is way off base. They've literally lost their soul doing procedures that are profitable. And I actually hold the medical, the business of medicine largely responsible for this pandemic because, first of all, uneven access to health care, number one. Second of all, we're offering treatments that are proven to be ineffective. Third of all, 65% of bankruptcies are from medical bills but we know before we give the treatment that they aren't going to work. The data says this treatment's not going to work, but we still do it because it's profitable. That is predatory. And it, so right now we yeah, have a criminal. So we have people that are under, remember, threat means authoritarianism, poverty, homelessness, those are all threats. So the medical profession, instead of helping people become well, we're actually disabling people and we're actually creating that threat. What do you think we're going to have to do to turn this around? I mean, <laughs> I know that's a huge question, but this has been a problem for years. And a lot of us have been seeing it for years. And now we're in the middle of a pandemic that we've really got to, we need to shift this approach. What do you think is going to take to do that? Are you talking about the medical profession specifically? I think it's yes. pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very simple. This is not hard. Okay, so the essence of solving chronic pain and COVID, by the way, is creating safety. Because with safety, you have anti-inflammatory cytokines instead of inflammatory. You have serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin, which are powerful drugs to regenerate. So so as you create safety, you actually help the body heal. The number one place that you need to create safety is the doctor-patient relationship. You have to talk to your patients. Patients need to be heard, not shuttle through giving procedures that don't work. So the number one thing that would change everything was simply pay physicians to talk to their patients and quit paying for procedures that don't work. It's that simple. Honestly, that simple. Well, it seems like the you know, while the physicians were busy trying to save lives, the insurance companies took over the practice. Right. Um, is that playing a part in there as well, that they have to dance around all these rules made by people that weren't even medical people? Well, what's happened, uh, doctors have become laborers or assembly line workers, and we're burning out. And so medicine, by the way, is by the way, is rather tedious. There's only about five or ten things a given physician recommends. What makes medicine infinitely interesting is the patient. 
So what happens, what causes burnout is simply not talking to the patient. And of course, doctors that are burned out actually don't function very well. So going back to the deal that you want to create a place of safety in the doctor-patient relationship, which means, which means taking time to get to know your patients. So time spent talking should re be reimbursed at least three or four times higher than it is now. Procedures should be knocked down by two-thirds at least. And the ones that don't work should be just should be just off the table. And it's not very hard to figure out. It's all the data is right there. Mm. So from what we've been discussing for the last two hours, it would appear that our best line of defense against COVID-19 is to build and maintain a strong immune system. Right. Would you mind recapping the most important steps we as individuals and lay people can take? I just think conceptually, the number one thing that fires up the nervous system is anxiety. And I would look at my whole process and other people like me as anxiety is simply a threatened body. So you're not response. And so I think that the essence of our society not thriving right now is the fact that we have not figured out anxiety. We treat it psychologically, not physiologically. So truly understand how the body responds as a unit, how anxiety is a reflection of that threat response. And then when, when you're under sustained threat, everybody's solution is going to be different. It's a learned skill. For instance, chronic pain is completely solvable, not one to be managed. And if each person takes full responsibility for their own knowledge and implementing the correct tools, it's game on. It, it, and I think that's one thing place that we've gone wrong is we've dumped in the laps of our poor doctors the responsibility for our health care when indeed we are doing everything that we can against it. Correct. Eating junk food, being sedient, right. being stressed out, not being responsible for our own, own emotional realm. It right. all goes back to self-responsibility, doesn't it? Yes, that mm -hmm. is it. Well, behind every dark cloud and all of that, what do you see as the potential hidden gifts of COVID-19 crisis? Well, I do think that it's going to, have to if somehow we can flip gears from an illness model to a wellness model of medical care, that would be huge. I think truly addressing the social inequities. In other words, I, I, I say that, look, stress isn't the problem, it's the reaction to the stress. But I want to deeply honor the people who are in poverty, who have no homes, no education, no opportunity. Those are deal breakers. In other words, I can do expensive writing, all sorts of interventions, but if you don't have a roof over your head, that's a problem. So that's a threat, right? Poverty is a threat. So there's some societal changes that have to take place. So understanding the, the police brutality issue, the rights of people with dark skin, even any particular minority, I think those societal changes can be forced to happen. That's a huge plus. I think the medical profession has to flip gears into a wellness model instead of illness model. It is not sustainable. We have to get off of employer-based healthcare. I think most physicians actually think that now. But right now, we have to have every human being have equal access to health. That that is that will be the positive if we get through this intact. I'm hoping that it shakes it up enough. I mean, our systems are stressed to the absolute max, and it seems to me that that's when the most creative change can happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping your vision comes true for sure. I really do. So in closing, what would you like to share with Mission Evolution's worldwide audience about thriving and surviving COVID-19? Well, I think that's the message right there is thriving and surviving. We tend to think of, of survival first and then trying to thrive. The data shows that if you learn how to thrive, in other words, you live a happy life, fulfilled life, learn how to process stress, lower your inflammatory markers, people live longer. And so really it's thrive first and then you'll survive much longer and enjoy your life. Enjoying life is the key, isn't it? I mean, we aren't here for a long time. No. 
you know, but can we be here for a good one, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So would you mind sharing with our audience where they can find all your wonderful uh, information and what all you have there? So the resources I would recommend starting with, uh, I have a website called backincontrol.com, one word, backincontrol.com. On the bottom left, you'll see a place to download PDFs, and you'll see the spot to download Plan A, which is what you can do before you get sick to prevent the problem. Um, then there's a book I wrote called Back in Control, a surgeon's roadmap about a chronic pain that gives you the background of how to implement the tools. But on the website, there's four stages that you know you can wander through the rest of your life off and on. But there's distinct steps and tools you can learn actually lowering inflammatory markers. So by reading the book, it's not going to change anything, but learning the tools and actually implementing them mm. makes a huge difference. Huge difference. Well, we right. are out of time. Dr. Hanscom, thank you so much for everything you're doing and for taking time to be on the show. Thank you. Our guest this hour has been orthopedic surgeon, Dr. David Hanscom. He's the author of Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? and Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. Dr. Hanscom, a survivor of COVID-19 himself, has been working with 20 other professionals researching alternative approaches to the disease, his website, backincontrol.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listener download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resource, and support to our evolving world. <laughs>